Welcome to this first Sunday in 2022. Today I'd like for us to look at a psalm that I think is very appropriate for the first Sunday of a new year. It's one of my very favorite psalms, Psalm 90-9-0. And one of the verses in the psalm appears on your bulletin today. It's sort of unusual that one could find a bulletin with a key verse on it. Well, first of all, I'd like to read the psalm, Psalm 90. It is believed to be a prayer of Moses, and thus perhaps maybe the earliest psalm we have. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, return you children of men, because a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. You know, in Peter, he says, like a day is like a thousand years to God and vice versa. <laughs> a thousand years seems like an awful lot of time to us, but what is a thousand years to God who is eternal? You carry them away as with a flood. They're like a sleep. In the morning, they're like grass which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it is cut down and withers, for we are consumed by your anger, and by your wrath, we are troubled. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days are passed away in your wrath. We spend our years like a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. That, of course, would be 70 years. And if it be by reason of strength that they are fourscore years, in other words, if we live to be 80 years old, yet their strength is labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? Even according to your fear, so is your wrath. And now that one of the key verses, so teach us to count our days so that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent you, in other words, change your mind concerning your servants. O satisfy our early, us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein you have afflicted us and the years wherein we've seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be on us and establish the work of our hands on us. Yes, the work of our hands you establish it. 
There's just so much in this psalm. Begins by pointing out that God is eternal. Verses one and two again. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's a profound thought, is it not? How can we even begin to imagine God had no beginning and no ending? The ending we can grasp a little easier than no beginning. Reminds me a little bit about space. I think even before I became a Christian, I wondered, where does space end? Does it end? <laughs> How can it not end? <laughs> They're imponderables. They're things that are just too hard to really wrap our minds about. And God is eternal. No beginning, no ending. Sometimes a little child will say, well, who made God? <laughs> the answer is nobody made God. God always is. Remember, he said, I am that I am. And I really love that thought. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, in contrast to that, we are passing. <laughs> we are not everlasting like God is. We have a beginning. And with God's blessing, we will continue on forever. Our passingness, we see beginning in verse 9, the last of the verse, we spend our years like a tale that is told, like a story that has been told. Days of our years are threescore years and ten. If by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet their strength is labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. <laughs> One of the old hymns talks about flying away. And so a conclusion in verse 12, teach us to count our days. They're short, so that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. One of the great illustrations of the shortness of life is also repeated in 1 Peter chapter 1. Last two verses. All flesh is like grass, and all the glory of man like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower thereof falls away, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. And this is the word which by the good news is preached to you. Some of you may have seen on the TV the Rose Parade yesterday. If not yesterday, you've probably seen it at other times. One of the things that impresses me, the flowers. And what's it say here about flowers? <laughs> they soon wither away. They soon pass away. So all that beauty, all that pageantry, as it were, soon passes on. It's an illustration in one way 
of our lives. We are passing as well. Not only that, go over a chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 11, it says, Dearly beloved, I ask you, like strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. Christians are strangers and pilgrims. They're foreigners and travelers. That's what we all are, you see, in this world. We're here just a very short time. And so again, back to this key thought, let us count our days. You see, they have an end in this life. Why? So we may apply our hearts to wisdom, that we might live in a wise and profitable way. Before I became a Christian, one of the thoughts that affected me greatly was a comparison. My life in this world is like only a grain of sand on all the shores of the world. One little grain of sand, that's what my life in this life here is. Realizing then that this is so, that my life would be very short, I decided it would be well to make it count, to help people. Well, thank God later, God brought me to himself and I became a Christian. And of course, that's the first step, really, in making your life count. Teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. One thing I did not know before I became a Christian is that there's a serious problem with which we are all confronted. Let's go back to Psalm 90. Let's look at verses 7 and 8 and the first part of 9. We are consumed by your anger. By your wrath we are troubled. You see, there's judgment Why? You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your countenance. All our days are passed away in your wrath. So it speaks about judgment here, about wrath. But it talks about secret sins, and it talks about iniquities. Later on, it talks about wrath, even in verse 11. That's one thing that is often overlooked I think very purposefully today. People think of God as Santa Claus. He just loves us and he gives us good gifts and they cancel out the idea of being accountable, the idea of judgment. And yet the scripture is very, very, very emphatic. There is a judgment coming. And so there is a punishment, a wrath, Involved. Bearing that in mind, even in our fallen state, there's a yearning, as it were, for God. Somehow we feel incomplete. In the book of Ecclesiastes, over a little bit from Psalms, chapter 3. Verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in his time. 
Also, he has set the world, or perhaps better translated, eternity, as some of the translations have it, he set eternity in their heart so that man cannot find out the work that God makes from the beginning to the end. No man can do that. Eternity in their heart, a sense that we need something more, a yearning sometimes we don't even realize for God. Have any of you read Augustine's Confessions? Have you heard of it? <laughs> there are two of his famous works, that's one of them. The other is the city of God. Rome would go through some difficult times and would fall. The city of God, that's eternal. But his confessions, they're well worth reading. Right at the, toward the very beginning, speaking to God, he says, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Have you heard that? You made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. The philosopher scientist Pascal, a Frenchman, he put it like this, in our hearts we have a God-shaped vacuum that nothing can fill but God himself. That's worth thinking about as well. So we yearn for God and God can satisfy that yearning as we turn to him. Deuteronomy 33, 27 it's a verse that I also like a great deal. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before you and shall say, destroy them. So he's with us to help us. Our greatest enemy is the devil <laughs> and his army. He has a lot of fallen angels that follow him. He controls them, as it were. But what a thought. The eternal God is my refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Wonderful thing to be held up by God. Wonderful thing to have him with us. We sang about how impossible it would be to live without him. As Christians, we understand that. Many non-Christians don't. They figure that they're in charge of things and they can do what they want and they're self-made. Many times, though, they eventually are brought to stark reality as their bodies fail or other events change in their lives. Not only do we have a yearning for God who's eternal, we have another yearning, I think, and that's to leave something that is lasting. It's what we do might have eternal significance. Again, verse 12, teach us to count our days so that we may apply our heart 
to wisdom. And having said that, we think of this prayer by Moses. We think of the judgment that he has highlighted throughout the psalm. We think of the temporality, the passingness of man. We yearn for something that will survive, something that will last. With that in mind then, what a beautiful way to pray in conclusion of the psalm. Psalm 90 beginning in verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Let it repent you concerning your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein you have afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil, seen bad things. Let your work appear to your servants. Notice your servants. We are to be God's servants. And your glory to their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be on us. And notice this cry for permanence. And establish the work of our hands on us. Yes, the work of our hands. You establish it. We know that whatever we do for the Lord God, what we do for Jesus Christ, has eternal lasting significance. Is it not then a part of wisdom to be busy in the Lord's work? In Moses' time, the Old Testament was given, maybe in part in answer to this prayer. The Old Testament did not totally satisfy the matter of of sin and guilt, but it was a step in the right direction. Hebrews chapter 10, and I mentioned this not too long ago, we see that the blood of bulls and goats cannot eradicate sin. On the other hand, in the New Testament, we see that Sin is eradicated by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament beginning to address this problem of forgiveness and guilt. The New Testament fulfilling and making it real. An illustration that really helps me, and I shared it with you at least once. In the Old Testament, and by the way, the Hebrew justifies this, In the Old Testament, it's like sin was covered over, wasn't really eliminated, wasn't really fully atoned for, was covered over. A little bit like you clean your house, but maybe you're in a hurry, and maybe none of you would do this, but there's a little bit of dirt under the rugs, and you you don't bother about that. But then the New Testament comes, The blood of Christ, you see, does away with guilt and sin. It sweeps it out. It takes care of it, cleans it up. It pays the penalty. In the New Testament, in the blood of Jesus, which we are going to observe in just a moment here, we find full fulfillment. We find an answer, as it were, to this prayer. 
establish the work of your hands. May I be involved with something lasting. As has been said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Carrying this thought, go with me, to, if you would, to one more scripture here. <clears throat> the great resurrection chapter in the New Testament. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's talking about the victory of Christ's resurrection and therefore our resurrection promised to come someday. He received a glorified body when he was raised from the dead. <clears throat> we too, when God gives us new bodies, will have bodies like his glorious body, eternal bodies, bodies without the sin nature, bodies powerful and glorious. And so with these eternal bodies, we can continue serving God forever. But notice how the chapter ends, verse 50, uh, 58, 1 Corinthians 13, 58, 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, you be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain, it's not in futility, in the Lord. When you tie that with the new body and eternity, you see how what we do for Jesus down here lasts forever and ever. And we continue serving him in heaven, in fellowship, in a choice of service to live for him there as well as what we have done down here. One of the really good things is up there, it'll be a perfect service. Down here, we still have to wrestle with the old nature. Up there, that's gone. Sin nature is destroyed. We have a spiritual nature. Great thing to look forward to. Thank the Lord for Jesus, who came and eradicated sin, who paid the penalty, who totally did away with it.